1: do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
2: The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie and we're
1: so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds
0: of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember Angie's List is now Angie and we're here to to get your job done right, get started at Angie.com. That's A N G I. Or download the app today.
1: This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News travel editor Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg
0: here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, coming from Atlantic, Canada, and one of my favorite cities, Halifax, in Nova Scotia. I've been coming here for more than 30 years, and with good reason. It's the people, it's the history, and yes, it's the air. It's one of the places where I sleep the best. And when I'm awake, I get to do a deep dive into the culture and history, and in the last 10 years, even the food scene. But it all starts with the history, and Mike Savage, the mayor of Halifax, tells that story. Then I'll speak with the fire chief. We all know about the Canadian wildfires, and we'll get his take on what's really going on. And then we'll go deep into the harbor of Halifax, one of the deepest natural harbors in the world, with Scott Armour. Born and raised in Halifax, he also built the Muir Hotel right on the water. And that's just the beginning. And finally, an airline you probably haven't heard about, but should. It's actually the little airline that could, Porter Air. Where they fly from and where they fly to might surprise you. First up, the mayor of Halifax.
1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: Mike Savage, Mr. Mayor, welcome.
3: Peter, nice to be with you. You can just call me Mayor Mike.
0: Well, whatever happened to the title then?
3: Well, I, when I was elected mayor, which was over a decade ago, I told people I didn't want to be called your worship. That's the normal honorific for a mayor in Oh, in I can't Canada. wait to call you your worship. No, I, like. I said, look, I don't want to be called your worship. Just call me Mayor Mike, and then about a year and a half after that, I was invited to Belfast, the city of my birth in, in, uh, in Ireland, and uh, by the Lord Mayor, and I was introduced as the Right Honourable the Lord Mayor of Halifax, and I said, I can live with that. But, but only in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: Mayor Mike. Well, Mayor Mike, thanks for coming by. Yeah. You know, Halifax, first of all, we are in Atlantic Canada, number one. Number two, it's got such a place in American history because of World War II, and because of what Canada did to help everybody out with all the convoys going across the Atlantic. People think the convoys were leaving from New York. No way. They were leaving from right here, where we are
3: right now at the Muir Hotel. Absolutely, from the beautiful Muir Hotel. Yeah, you you know, this is where they started. This is where they went. I mean,
0: we are right here on the waterfront. In fact, the Maritime Museum is right next to us. All that history is there.
3: And the last surviving convoy, HMS uh, Sackville, uh, HMCS Sackville, which is a a living uh, museum, of the convoys of World War II, um, about which there have been movies made. Uh, but uh, great story, yeah. Of course, the most recent movie, which may not have been about that convoy, but was, was Greyhound with Tom Hanks. That was about that. That was the convoys. Absolutely correct, yeah.
0: Amazing stuff. Yeah. And, of course, the Titanic.
3: So the Titanic, uh, uh, a few years ago, I was, at, I was in Belfast on that same trip, as a matter of fact, and they took me to the Titanic Museum. And when there was a bunch of visiting scholars who were there for a convention, and when they heard the mayor of Halifax was there, they asked me if I would go and talk about Halifax's connection to Titanic. I said, sure, when? They said, now. I said, let me just go to the bathroom. (laughs) I went in the bathroom and I Googled Halifax Titanic, just to make sure I had my facts right. So what what you're
0: telling me, Mr. Mayor, is when in doubt, you Google.
3: Uh, who doesn't, right? Who okay, doesn't? Fine. But all, also, I mean, the, the, so the Titanic was 1912. 1917, this was the home of the Halifax explosion, the largest man-made explosion in the world prior to Hiroshima.
0: Tell me more about that.
3: Well, down this harbor. Um, Where the, we're sitting right now. Yeah. The Mont Blanc and the Emo collided. They were two ships. It was December the 6th of 1917. World War I was raging in Europe. Uh, these two ships collided in the Halifax Harbor just before 9 o'clock on December the 6th in the morning. Um, and just after nine o'clock, um, they blew up, and uh, two thousand people were killed, uh, almost ten thousand injured, a thousand people made blind. It was the beginning of the uh, CNIB, the Institute of the Blind, here in Halifax. Uh, it was the largest man-made explosion in the world before 1945. And just to give you a sense of how much it hit this community, there's a. There's a woman that I feel a connection to, though I never met her. She died in 1957, but her name was Mary Eugenia Hinch. And she woke up in the morning of December the 6th with 10 kids off to school, her husband off to work, and within an hour, all 10 kids were killed. Her husband was killed. Her three surviving siblings were killed. Her mother was killed in the Halifax explosion. And she was found almost a day later under the rubble and the snow, and she was pregnant uh, with Hubert, who was born in April of 1918. Uh, I mean, think about that. All your 10 kids, husband, uh, you know, your mother, your siblings, like it just devastated the north end of Halifax and Dartmouth, including the indigenous uh, community, the African Nova Scotian community. So, yeah. And and that forged the relationship with the city of Boston in the U.S. because the people in Boston immediately sent help up because the trade routes had historically been north, south, not east, west. And so the people of Boston came to our help. They sent nurses and doctors and medical equipment. And so every year we, uh, we sent a Christmas tree down to Boston. It goes up in the Boston Common. It's a great event and a great to connection day. to this very day. I've been down a number of times for that. It's an amazing connection.
0: Now, is it, I, I find this hard to believe, but it's true. It's the second largest ice free harbor in the world.
3: Second, it's the second largest, second deepest natural harbor in the world behind Sydney, Australia. Wow. And those boats you see, the ferry system, it's the uh, second longest continuously running saltwater ferry in the world, behind only Liverpool, Mersey.
0: And another little tidbit that people don't realize
3: is Cunard started here in Halifax. Of course. Almost, well, just down here. And the reason I know that is I used to be the general manager of a company called S. Cunard, named after Samuel Cunard. But Samuel Cunard started here. And uh, most people think it was uh, English, but yeah, oh no, no. Well, see, so my family, my most of my relatives are English, and they call it Cunard over here. We call it Cunard, Uh, (laughs) but uh, there was a ship's chandlery company, the Queen Mary, the Queen Elizabeth, a great history. The Britannia, and I think it was 1843, the steamship, a whole new era of commercial travel across uh, the Atlantic Ocean, and that was right, Mr. Samuel Cunard. Yeah,
0: those were the crossings,
3: yeah, absolutely 100%.
0: And of course, the Titanic was heading here,
3: the Titanic. Yeah, so, now, as I told you, I was born in Belfast, so I, I got it on both ends, because... Uh, yeah, well, yeah, those are the guys who built it, excuse yes, me. Yes, and they said that, look, it was good when it left here. Um, <laughs> and so, the, sort of the, the, the history of the Titanic, of course, is somewhat well-known, but the Carpathia, I think it was out of New York, came up and got the survivors, but right. it was a number of ships out of Halifax that went and recovered the dead, bought them to Halifax, laid them out in places which are historic properties now, historic buildings in, in Halifax. Well, wow,
0: we're talking to Mike Savage. The I'm going to say it again. The Lord, the Right Honourable Lord Mayor of Hollywood.
3: You got to buy. You got to.
0: Okay, you, you, you're going to let me say it. Huh? Nah, say listen.
3: It, it sounds right like coming out of your mouth, Peter. <laughs> Do they still fire the noon gun every day? Oh yes, and you could be here all your life, and there's still moments when it catches you off guard. So yeah.
0: But for people who have not been here before, when they first come. What's the first surprise for them? What's the thing that surprised them the most?
3: So, I, Well, it depends where you are. I think for a lot of people, they think of Halifax as kind of a, a you know, quaint uh, city uh, on the water with uh, fiddles and lobsters and bagpipes, and, and we have all of that. But we're also, as you can see, a very modern city. We're sitting here in one of the most beautiful uh, hotels in, in Canada, North America probably, brand new. Um, it, it is. I know this uh, is radio, but it is stunning. Yeah, it's it's a it's a stunning uh, place, and and we have a great waterfront. I mean, to walk the waterfront, I look out the window over here, and you see down to the to the to the bicycle thief and uh, to the, to our beer garden on the waterfront. I've had many. I, I get as mayor, I get to go to conventions of people who are coming in to visit. And a few years ago. I think it was the International Suspension Bridges Association they bought me I've in. not been to that convention. You've got to go to that one. It's the, the, probably a great place to hang around but not hang off. But anyway, so they, <laughs> they said to me, that this is the most beautiful waterfront we've been to. And they'd been to San Fran and, uh, uh, you know, lots of different places. So, yeah, we're proud. The waterfront is here. As a city, we're big, physically large. We're 5,500 square kilometers. We're monstrously large, which gives us the opportunity to have a beautiful downtown. It's vibrant, a lot of kids, a lot of places to eat and drink and have fun, but also some natural wilderness areas that are very special.
0: And your biggest challenge?
3: Well, I think, you know, as it is in a lot of cities in North America, our challenge is that the growth of the city, and Halifax was the fastest-growing large city in Canada in 2022. We grew by 4.5%. In a year, twenty some twenty thousand people. The big challenge is how do you focus, manage the growth? The growth, and you know we have people that aren't succeeding, and so we have people living in tents in the heart of the city, um, and so that's a you know um, for sure that's a challenge for all cities. Is how do we? Try to make the you know the success of the city more uniform.
0: So when you think of the food scene here, when you think of the art scene here, that is a relatively new phenomenon. I mean, my my experience with Canadian food is about my experience with British food for a long time. <laughs> it was not a fun experience. That all changed. Yeah, I think so.
3: Yeah. No, I like it. absolutely. I mean, you know, we're in a complex here that's got I don't know seven or eight eight amazing restaurants right here in this complex, and all along this waterfront, and you've got traditional places like the Five Fishermen. You've got great state houses. Argyle Street is just a phenomenal place to go. You can eat and drink and do what you want to do. A lot of culture. Uh, live music still exists in Halifax. Yeah, so I, but I think certainly the, the quality of the cuisine has gone up a lot. People used to come here and have lobster and clams and chips. You can't beat it. Um, but, but I certainly think that the number of places close to where you and I are sitting right now, Peter, you could go to, I don't know, 30 restaurants within, you know, four minutes probably. You could go to eight of them within Two minutes, just by going down the elevator. So what you're telling me is you like to eat. Look at me. Oh, this is radio. I, uh, I, I, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. I, uh, I enjoy. Uh, I enjoy the restaurant scene in, in Halifax. And we, and we got the Micmac Tavern in Dartmouth, which is a great spot to go. You can't forget Tim Hortons. I don't know. I never heard of that. What is that? <laughs> you mean the hockey player? <laughs> Tim Hortons. Yes, indeed. Yeah. There's a few of those around.
0: <laughs> there. Uh, you can't go anywhere now without seeing.
3: Yeah. There's Timmys everywhere. There
0: are a couple in the states. Timmys and Double I found Double. a Tim Hortons in Las Vegas. In Vegas. In Vegas. So there you go. There's a Canadian invasion. I knew we
3: had some in uh, Kandahar when we were working with our friends in the U.S. and uh, Afghanistan. So wherever sort of Canada goes, uh, it seems like uh, Timmy's follows. Where do you like to go? In Halifax, so I like. There's a place near where I live called Shuby Park. So we have a lot of parks, and, and in in the city of H R M, we have over 900 parks and trails. Um, some in the water, some in the ocean, some in the lakes, some in the woods. Uh, it's beautiful. So one of the places I go, Shuby Park. I love the waterfront, the Halifax waterfront, the Dartmouth waterfront. There's a place on our eastern shore, still within the boundary of the city, uh, called the Hundred Wild Islands, uh, which is a phenomenal archipelago of islands, which is world class. People can come. It's you know. How many uh, islands? Well, it's called, the. I I think it's still called the 100 Wild Islands. I don't think it's exactly 100, but it's pretty close. But it's amazing. So there's a lot of things. And of course, I like to get out and see the people and see what's going on. And, and, uh, you know, that's part of being mayor is keeping in touch with the folks in the city.
0: Now, what were you doing before you were mayor?
3: So just before I was mayor, I was a member of parliament, so a politician. But before that, I was in business. So you were the
0: right honorable member of parliament?
3: No, I was the reasonably honorable uh, (laughs) member of parliament for Dartmouth Coal Harbor, something I enjoyed very much. Uh, But I was in business before that, so I, I ran. A retail fuel company here in Halifax, just down there where a brand new high rise building, the Canard, it's called, is uh, coming out of the ground. Uh, I worked for Nova Scotia Power, our utility, and I worked in the search business with um, a company called Ray and Bernstein and Robertson Surrette, who are still around. So I was in business for close to 20 years and then in politics for 20 years.
0: When you see Halifax the way it's, it's evolved and how it's grown, you know, we talked about this a little earlier about managing that growth. How do you do that, though?
3: Well, you know, people often say about a city, this city will be great when it's finished. But cities are never finished. It's it's a journey more than a destination. And I think I want growth. When I became the mayor 11 years ago, we really weren't a city of growth. I don't know that there was a single crane in the sky of Halifax. Uh, And now there's something like 38. There's a lot of building, there's a lot of growth. And so, you know, people say, you like growth. I do, I like good growth. I like growth like, you know, where we're sitting now, which is strategic and thoughtful and works with the environment in which it in which it is. I want good buildings. I want environmentally sensitive buildings. We are right on the cusp of being in the ocean and we're affected by all the impacts that come with that, you know, sea level rise, storm surge. We've had hurricanes. And you're, and you're seeing that? We're seeing it. We've had more hurricanes in the last few years than we had you know, in 25 years. Those one, one in 100 storms are more like one in 10 storms. The one in 20 storms we see almost every fall. Uh, and we, have, we had fires and we had floods this year. So we're impacted by all of those things. So the growth that we have needs to be sustainable and, and respectful of the environment. That's very important to me. And I want it to be good growth. I want it to be sustainable. And as much as possible, I want more people to be part of that growth.
0: And of course, as part of that, you have to legislatively adapt. Sure,
3: sure, hundred percent. You know, I think cities that 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 are doing well these days are growing, but they're also recognizing that they can't be divorced from the environment in which they are. So this this big edifice, this building that we're in now, which is part of a big complex, is designed to reflect uh, the ocean as much as to sit beside it. And you know, we have a really good development community in Halifax that respects and understand um, you know, what's expected of people and, and where they're going to live and where they're going to be entertained, I think we've done really well. Yeah, we have challenges, but you know, as I say, the journey goes on. And just like we weren't a great growth city 10 years ago, and now we are, we'll deal with the challenges of growth as we ch- dealt with the challenges of, of no growth. But you know, it's interesting, because on the world stage, for a while
0: you were sort of forgotten.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Now you're coming out of it.
3: Wow. Well, that's for others to judge. I, uh, I, was, I, I never forgot Halifax, uh, Dartmouth. Um, I think we've always had a great story to tell. Well, you're
0: from Dartmouth.
3: I'm from Dartmouth, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I know. The old city of Dartmouth. I'm very proud to be a Dartmouth guy, although I was born overseas. Um, but uh, I, I certainly think we're more international. We've embraced immigration. We've embraced the different cultures. It, it never fails to amaze me now I can walk down the street and hear a language I haven't heard before and I, you know, try to find out what it is, you know, maybe it's Farsi or Punjabi or something. It's Brooklyn. It's, uh, it's Brooklyn. Well, it could be Brooklyn or it could be Cape Breton. could be a <laughs> Cape Breton accent. Um, so yeah, we, we, we're, we're a different city, I think, than we um, used to be, but we have all the benefits of, of our traditions and we also have the opportunities of the future. And the history. So the history is good and, and the history didn't start in 1749. The history of this place started with the Mi'kmaq probably 13,000 years ago and, you know, they are the custodians of this land. They did pretty well with it, the indigenous people of this land and they have a great history and only now I think are we all really understanding just how deep that and important that history is. Uh, we have 400 years of African Nova Scotian uh, history here. You know, going back, you know, we had, We've had a lot of history of racism in this community that people may not realize. So there's a lot of challenges, but there's also a lot of opportunities. And you let the opportunities overcome the challenges, and you put one foot in front of the other, and you march.
0: Well, you mentioned the indigenous community, which should not go unmentioned. How are you maintaining that culture?
3: Well, I think it's really important that we do, first of all. So for a long, long time, you know, I I grew up here. And I grew up in a family that would be pretty progressive. But we very seldom talked about the issues of our First Nations uh, people. My father spent a lot of time in the African Nova Scotian community when he came to Canada as a young doctor, you know, English doctor from Wales, actually. He, he started doing work in the African Nova Scotian community, which had been neglected and the victim of systemic racism. But it's only in the last number of years we've recognized the importance of the Mi'kmaq, the First Nations here. So we have some Métis people, but primarily we're Mi'kmaq here in, in Jubuktuk, which is the Mi'kmaq word for this land, which means Great Harbor, which you can see why, and so we 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 have peace and friendship treaties that were signed in the 1720s, but weren't honored.
0: Yeah, I was about to say they weren't honored. right? They weren't
3: honored. So we've done a lot. I, I personally take great pride in the fact that I think we've made a lot of steps to work with our Mi'kmaq populations here. There's a lot more that we can do, but I think we've come a long way. And, and again, it's it's evolving. It, it's important that we really listen to each other. And there's a lot of people that want to be more embracing of the First Nations of here, but they don't know how to do it. They don't know what the term is. They don't know what the language is. They don't know what the history is. But I think they want to do the right thing. And for me as a community leader, I take great pride in the steps that we've taken uh, in working with our First Nations here.
0: Are they teaching that history in the schools?
3: More, Yeah, so now Mi'kmaq is actually a language that's being being respected, an official language of, of uh, Nova Scotia now. Do you speak it? I speak a little bit. Uh, uh, gwe, jilazi, wali'ek bug Gwe, Jalazi, Walaliak, all the usual terms that... Oh
0: well, wait, tell me so, what that means.
3: Well, Gwe, uh, you often open Open up when you're speaking. When you acknowledge the land, you might say Gwe and "jalazi," which is basically a welcome. So, good day and, and welcome. And means I uh, hope you're having a good day or some variation thereof. The way you say thank you is "wulalun," but if you're speaking to a number of people, it's "wulaluk." And so, I don't I don't speak it, but I try. And uh, I'll be speaking it on September the 30th and uh, on uh, October the first. Those are significant days in Canadian history for the, for peace and friendship and uh, reconciliation
0: and reparations.
3: Reconciliation, I mean, reparations is an ongoing discussion with all of our communities.
0: But at least you know how to say welcome and thank you. <laughs> it
3: doesn't <laughs> sound like much, does it? <laughs> hey, it opens the door. It, it, look, it, it, it means a lot, I think, to me that, that I can speak to people. At least they know that I'm trying to do the best I can to speak, you know, their language. I mean, I'm not even bilingual, you know, fluently. I'm not fluent in French, but I speak French whenever I can. I speak Mi'kmaq, um, yeah. I try to.
0: Where do you see that going?
3: To a better place. So I often tell people the peace and friendship treaties, which started in the 1720s, haven't really been honored. And I think they're a roadmap for the future, and it's still a bit of a sensitive issue for some people. We're not, I'm not talking about saying that we we can't use the land. I just think we need to acknowledge that there were people here before us, and they welcomed us here, and so it's a respect relationship for me.
0: And speaking of the land, within, what, five minutes of where we are now, you're walking that history.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Right? It's not yeah. just the history of the Cunard Steamship Company. It's not just the history of the Titanic or the convoys in World War II. It goes back just a few hundred years before that.
3: It goes back As they say, 13,000 years with the Mi'kmaq, and it goes back hundreds of years with other cultures that have been here, whether it's the African Nova Scotia, whether it's Gaelic nations, you know, the Scottish. I mean, Nova Scotia is Gaelic for for new scotland uh so we have an over we have a very strong scottish history irish english uh, and more and more we have so w- one of the cu- one of the cultures that's very strong here is the lebanese so the lebanese started coming here many years ago as assyrians but this city if you look out these beautiful glass windows that we're in you know probably 70 percent of the development is done by uh, first second generation lebanese developers and so that's another relationship so that's what you're important.
0: trying to tell me is there's some really great mezze here
3: there is some um, listen. I there's a new restaurant in town called uh, Oliban, and it is down the road here. It's not part of Queen's Mark. It's it's uh, but it's a fabulous restaurant, it's brand new. But the Lebanese culture is very strong here, and I love uh, I love Lebanese food. So you're the kebab mayor. Well, you know what the official food of Halifax is? Tell me the doner. Do you know what a doner is? You better tell me Donaire or the Halifax doner as they call it. They call it a, like a gyro or a gyro in New York City. It's a it's unleavened bread with some concoction of meat, uh, spices, tomato, onion, and a particularly unhealthy sauce. Uh, and <laughs> so, a few years ago, I'll tell you a story. We had a motion to uh, t- for to make it the official food of Halifax. I didn't think we should, but I had to cast the deciding vote. I, I voted for it because of the strong Lebanese connection.
0: So it's mystery meat, and the mayor endorses it.
3: Oh, you gotta have one. If you haven't had one, don't go. Don't leave till you had a there.
0: My thanks to Mayor Savage. And as the mayor says, it's all about managing growth. One example of that is the development of the harbor of Halifax. In particular, the Muir Hotel, right on the water. Scott Armour McCrae was born and raised in Halifax, and he built the Muir Hotel. And that's, as you're about to learn, just the beginning. Scott Armour-McCray, of course, he's the chairman of the Armour Group. Scott,
4: nice job. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm sure I'll still be apologizing because it's in our roots.
0: Well, you, I'm not going to let you apologize today. <laughs> how
4: about that?
0: <laughs> fine. But I mean, you are a lifelong
4: Haligonian. Did I say that right? That's right. Haligonian. Born and raised here? Born and raised. It's in my blood.
0: What makes Halifax special to you?
4: I think, you know, there's a lot of subtleties to Halifax and the people that live here. Uh, I think from others in North America, you would sense uh, the same kind of, you know, um, uh, cultural background. But I think it's the connection to nature that most uh, Haligonians share. The ability to get to beaches, the shore, within 10 minutes. There's a grounding, I think, effect that this happens. You have a city, a dynamic city, but it has its nature at its core. And I think at all times, it's kind of grounding people here. And I think that's the part that makes it special. It's been it's not it was never the easiest place to settle and to live and to and from the earliest settlers and I think that resiliency which which is tr- we've tried to express in this in this development uh, kind of shines through in the way that people act and how people feel about the world they they think generationally
0: and it's also giving you a big sense of community
4: that's right, yeah, and I think that's 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 shared we've all had to survive being here this is not the easiest place that we've uh, Live through with generations, and so you develop a deeper sense of community when you, when you face that kind of common, common view.
0: I mean, earlier on the show, we talked to the mayor, and he's talking about how Halifax is growing, and yet it doesn't feel that it's overly grown. It doesn't feel like a big, big city. It feels like if I spent some time with you off the air, you'd probably know everybody in town.
4: Yeah, I think it's. Uh, there's the common saying, "It's uh, not big enough for an opera, but uh, too big to have an affair." And uh, <laughs> I think it has that. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to use that. <laughs> I think it still has that kind of, uh, you know, touch point where you you have connections to people, families know each other, but yet it's it's still got the you know the attributes of a city that most people want. It's it's much like many other cities, the kind of secondary cities that are really prospering in in north america and halifax is right on the cusp of that
0: and yet a lot of people just don't know it still
4: no and i think there's there's a that kind of uh sort of yin yang uh, you know do we want how much do we want people to know I, I think you know we've grown past that as a community where uh haligonians uh are feeling prouder uh there's a, such a history here as you've as you've referenced. Uh, some of the greatest things that have happened in Canadian history happened here. It's had a formidable impact on all of North America. And for a while, this was con- perceived as a, a, what's known as a have-not province. But the zeitgeist today is, is very different. There is that sense of, as we look out onto the harbour here by the Rise Again building, there is that sense that you can rise again here. And, and really, that's what that building was intended to psychologically impart, is Halifax is, is rising again.
0: And where we are right now is where the British Navy used to hang out.
4: Well, that's right. Yeah, no, this, uh, this particular site, and it's a very uncommon site for your listeners, it's really the center of the city, and you rarely in, in life get to build in what is truly the center of the city. So it has deep history, even though it didn't have historic roots, or it has deep history, uh, even though it didn't have physical historic roots. And it was the site where the British uh, Navy set up their battlements, And every king and queen, prince and prince that ever landed in Nova Scotia landed at this site. And uh, so it's got an an enormous history.
0: And, of course, most people who watch World War II movies make the mistake of believing them. Actually, the convoys left from here.
4: That's correct. Yeah, no. um, Coordinated from the site um, that we're at. It would have been out in the basin. And... You know, that is an uh, often forgotten part. As we sit here, we're looking out over the last remaining frigate of those convoys, the Sackville, our, our naval memorial. and That uh, was a Corvette. That's right. And they built them so cheap because they, they, they didn't expect them to survive. So it's, it's just sort of a fast... They were
0: guarding the convoys to take the torpedo instead of the boats.
4: That's right. They, 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 they did not... And so... There's only one left. So
0: you know you're in deep trouble if they said you <laughs> you've been assigned to a con- to a Corvette.
4: That's right. No, it's a it's it's a fascinating story because because they were built so cheaply, we have so few now. I mean, there's just one left to be able to use as a naval memorial. Um, so it's a, and it's right here. It's right next to you're looking at it right now. Yeah.
0: When people come to Halifax, even when they stay at this hotel, what's the biggest surprise for them that they're not expecting?
4: Well, I think it what it's what you reference previously, Peter, it's, it's how ha- Halifax has started to change. I think the, when they come to this hotel, you know, what's most important for us in this hotel was, was the concept of a hotel as a cultural institution, not your old heads-on-bed a thing, but to be able to truly feel like when I went to the Muir, when I went to Halifax, I, I felt the authentic sense of place. And I think when people come here and see uh, the evolution of Halifax... Uh, from when sautéed was fried uh, to today, <laughs> you do agree with that yeah, a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah fine. Uh, they can get they can get a different appreciation for its roots. They feel uh, the authenticity. So I think that they're surprised that there is this mon- mo- modern nature to a city with such history uh, that's on the move. And, of course, within about
0: 20 feet of where we're sitting right now, or maybe 40 feet, is your Maritime Museum, which I wholeheartedly encourage people to go to. I immerse myself in that place. It's unbelievable.
4: No, fantastic stories there. I, th- I think we've had a very deep relationship with the Maritime Museum, whether it be uh, bringing out uh, Sable Island, which is offshore here, natural uh, um, park to the titanic stories to uh the convoy it's a it's a fantastic location and right next door and we try to bring some of those stories into queen's mark and into the Muir. well the goodness is you can't walk walk more than 100 feet and not have history here yeah no absolutely no it's a it's um but yet it's still got that forward that kind of juxtaposition of the of the new and the old
0: my thanks to scott now, for those of you who are my regular listeners, you know I'm also a volunteer firefighter. And wherever I go, I want to talk with a local fireman and firewomen. They know their communities best, and Halifax is no exception. Ken Steubing is the fire chief in Halifax, but he also knows the history of fire. And in Halifax, that's almost required. Chief, welcome.
2: Thank you very much, Peter. Certainly a pleasure to be here in our new home. I've been here for about six years, and can't think of a better place to end my career than in Halifax, Canada's ocean playground.
0: Well, thank you for that mission statement and that promotion. <laughs> but the cool thing about Halifax is, if you, at, if you look at the history here and what you've learned from history, something that predated both of us by many decades, of course, the famous explosion here in 1917, and, and what you learned about that, you know, Halifax certainly had its share of a disaster, you know, over 100 years ago.
2: Yeah, certainly that is a hallmark moment for Canada. It was actually the very first year that I started here that we were recognizing the 100th anniversary for that explosion. So certainly there were some uh, events that went on in Halifax, but also our sister city in Boston. So I was fortunate to participate in events not only here in Halifax, but go down to Boston where both mayors uh, and myself and Police Commissioner Joe Finn participated in uh, initially the events here. And since the Halifax explosion, Nova Scotia has donated a fire, a tree, a Christmas tree to Boston, which is put up in the Boston camp. Uh, commons it is lit for the the christmas told me about that yeah yeah it is uh, lit every year um down on the boston commons and on the first year i was here the 100th anniversary i went down there with uh, our mayor and participated in that lighting as the tree was dedicated to first responders
0: you know we've we've seen all, all around the world this year extreme heat Uh, consecutive days of plus 100 degree weather in places that never had experienced it before. Uh, We've seen the wildfires uh, in Canada. We've seen the wildfires in previous years in Australia, in Greece, in Turkey, and of course in this region as well. Uh, How are you preparing for that? Is there any way to prepare for it?
2: Well, interesting for sure. Um, In my previous role as the president of the International Association of Fire Chiefs, I participated in events across the globe talking about the effects of what we're dealing with, with less precipitation in the winter, you know, accumulation of snow, um, changes in policy around how to manage forests that have happened over decades. And all of that has Uh, ended up creating some significant risk, including uh, hurricanes that have been leaving fuel in the woods. So certainly this community has had wildfires in the past. But this year, despite the fact we were doing what we could to prepare our troops for dealing with that situation, we had a significant wildfire here in May that was an all hands on deck event for our organization while we were dealing with that. There were fires up and down the west coast of Canada in the US. There continues to be evacuations in the Northwest Territories and in uh, in British Columbia. And obviously what happened in in Hawaii is uh, unprecedented.
0: You know, because you had all the makings of a perfect storm there and it all happened at once. I don't think people realize, as a firefighter myself, I've experienced it, I'm sure you have as well. It's, it's scary, it's daunting, it's not controllable, how fast fire actually moves.
2: Yeah, and it doesn't take the streets, right? It goes in the direction that the wind pushes the fire. So in order to stay in front of the fire, you need, you know, in order to be able to evacuate people out of the, out of the path, you need to take the streets to, you know, with your personnel when we were dealing with that fire one of the challenges is we're not also we're also not the authority of jurisdiction so in canada that is the provinces and the territories so while we worked closely together the municipal fire departments across canada are typically first in and usually there for the duration of the event Um, We had been prepared for that event in that we have issued personal protective equipment appropriate for that type of work. We put wildland firefighting gear on our apparatus. We have trained our officers and firefighters in basic wildland uh, techniques, but we have historically fought much smaller fires than what we experienced this year. And uh, one of the other challenges across North America actually is that a, por- a large portion of the, of the people who live in the community have moved into that wildland urban interface space. So it's about 33% of our population is now living through sprawl in that interface area, which certainly makes it difficult. You're not fighting a traditional wildfire which is a normal evolution of forests when you know the fire happens in the forest without homes and people dispersed in those flames uh your strategies and tactics can be different
0: oh sure but in a situation like this i would assume you're you're dealing with a crisis that you can't always control uh because it's not just burning in one location and going in one direction and and uh and you reach a flashpoint where when an ember hits something it's doing it at such heat it already explodes. Uh, I've seen this in in, in many house fires when you have when you saw this in Maui I mean by the time an ember from that fire hit another house in Maui that house was at such heat already that it just didn't smolder it exploded.
2: Yeah certainly I think the building materials that Need to be used in those wooey areas, the well done urban interface areas, needs to be non combustible or certainly flame resistant material. So, what you're saying, Chief,
0: is it's time for some new codes.
2: Yeah, certainly there is uh, there's evidence out there that supports, you know, uh, in Canada we call it Fire Smart, in the States uh, the same program is called FireWise. It educates the public on how to. Uh, landscape their yards, to keep the vegetation back, to uh, use non-combustible building materials and gardening materials. So certainly codes are part of the equation, as well as how you design your communities, more than one way in and one way out, emergency exit routes, all of that has uh, come to the top of, uh, of the conversation and needs to be considered for all future developments. And we need to think about how we can adapt the communities that already exist.
0: And moving forward, you're training even more.
2: Yes, it was uh, already in our WUI strategy to train our officers and our firefighters, and we are also training our crews uh, that's well in flight. It was part of our business plans uh, the last two years to train them on how to do critical risk assessments for people who live in the, in the WUI, and educate the community on that. So we continue to work that issue and uh, and do that uh, to reduce the risk for the people who live in our community.
0: But the good news is, as you and I are speaking today, it's a beautiful day here in Halifax. Things are under control.
2: Yeah, we went uh, from uh, a really warm and dry spring to uh, what has been a, a normally uh, sunny summer to what's been a little bit more moist than usual. That actually led to some flood challenges that we had after the wildfire. And unfortunately, while we didn't lose or critically injure anybody during the wildfires, we did uh, lose some citizens and residents of the area, Um, certainly not right in Halifax, but uh, on our borders where we assisted with the response. Unfortunately, there were some lives lost during the flood, but we're hearing it's going to be a bright, sunny afternoon and the start of a stretch of some sun, which is normally our summer weather. The bottom line is be aware,
0: but at the same time, be smart.
2: Absolutely. Uh, you know, we always try to be prepared for what we're going to be facing. And obviously, in, uh, in the face of the changing environment, uh, we are heading into hurricane season. So our teams are preparing for that eventuality if we hit that.
0: But other than those extreme challenges, you love living in Halifax.
2: It is one of the most beautiful areas in the country for sure. And I've lived across the country, including Banff. We are quite delighted to call Halifax our home, and I have no shortage of people who want to visit us for some reason. (laughs) My
0: thanks to Chief Steubing. And last but not least is how you get to Halifax. At the turn of the last century, it might have been by steamship or train. These days, most folks would say, come by air, like Air Canada. But there's another airline, one of my favorites, and you've probably never heard of it. It's called Porter Air. It's the little airline that could, and it not only flies to Halifax, but it flies from one of my favorite, if not cutest, airports in the world, a small island a few hundred feet from downtown Toronto, called Billy Bishop. Kevin Jackson is Porter's chief commercial officer. Kevin Jackson, the, the executive vice president and chief commercial officer of Porter. Welcome, sir.
5: Hi, Peter. Welcome to Halifax.
0: I'm telling you, its I always love coming to Halifax. I've said this throughout the show. But I love Porter because, and, and please don't take this the wrong way, you're the little airline that could.
5: Absolutely. I, I
0: mean, you're not, you know, up until, well, up until recently, you've only flown basically prop jets. That's correct. Right, That's the correct. Dash 400s. Yep. Um, and you know what? They get you where you need to go. These are not obsessively long flights. Um, I'm not on board for anything other than to get from A to B. And you get me there, but you're going to places that most Americans have never been, right? St. John's in Newfoundland. That's correct. Thunder
5: Bay. I mean... All uh, over eastern Canada.
0: All over eastern Canada. And you're flying from what? You fly from New York, you are flying from Boston.
5: Uh, we also fly from Washington and from Chicago. There you go. That's so, right. very cool thing. But what is Porter? So, Porter is an airline that started about 16 years ago at our home base, as you said, in Toronto. It's Toronto-Billy Bishop uh, Airport, Uh, and we started with one route, which was Toronto-Ottawa, to and we started flying that very regularly, focused on the business traveler at that time.
0: Ottawa, of course, being the capital of Canada.
5: That's right. So, number one, it was our first destination, Uh, and we have expanded our network across eastern Canada over the last 16 years, and so today, uh, we serve... 22 destinations with that Dash 8 fleet that you talked about, the turboprop fleet. And we fly it from Toronto, Ottawa, Halifax, and to all of these different destinations across eastern Canada.
0: And, of course, your major hub is Billy Bishop Airport in Toronto.
5: Which is, as you said, a great little airport.
0: When I say little airport, when I first flew to Billy Bishop, I landed, I was coming up to Toronto, I landed, I walked about 12 feet, got on a ferry boat that went about 12 feet, and I was in downtown Toronto, literally. That's right. Now, is the ferry boat still there? Yes, but now you have a tunnel and anybody gets there. But I've never been to an airport where you literally get off the plane and you're like, you're in downtown.
5: That's right. Billy Bishop Airport is actually on an island. There is a 400 foot strip of water that separates the island from the city itself.
0: That's it. For, I'm not kidding. 400 yep. feet.
5: And there's a ferry that moves across that little spit of water to carry. Uh, cars and fuel and supplies you can also ride it as a passenger but now it's connected to the city through a tunnel that goes under the lake and pops up in downtown Toronto and Billy
0: Bishop was named for
5: you're you're gonna flag me on that one so he was a he was a World War II pilot uh, that flew in the Canadian uh, Royal Air Force
0: okay now since you're since you're based in Chicago do you That's know what, what O'Hare was named for
5: I um, do. I do know that both Midway and O'Hare are named after World War II elements, but yes, I do not know. But there's a O'Hare great connection.
0: Story. I'm going to give you the connection. Yeah, it's named for a pilot. You're right, named Butch O'Hare. But who was his father? His yeah, father was Al Capone's attorney. I did not know that. And uh, yes, and his, his name was Easy Eddie, and he was nothing but easy. And, he was like, <laughs> and Easy Eddie basically said to his son, "Don't turn out to be like me." And he enlisted, and fought in the war. He died in the war, by the mm-hmm. way. You'll see the statues of him at O'Hare, right. and Easy Eddie. He got wiped out by the mob.
5: Interesting, right? I didn't and know that.
0: After he turned states evidence against Al Capone, That's
5: there's cool. your mob connection That's in cool. Chicago. That's as always. I we just need thought one. I'd tell you. That's right. We need one. There you go. Uh,
0: yeah. But now the biggest problem with airlines is sometimes, historically, when you try to become too big, right? When you try to expand too much what are your growth plans?
5: So, uh, you know, we went into COVID um, focused on our regional network within Eastern Canada and the Northeastern United States. And through COVID, we actually shut the airline down. And we did that because in Canada, unlike in the United States, demand dropped by 90% and stayed at that level for over a year. And so we took advantage of that opportunity. Were there
0: government bailouts?
5: No government bailouts uh, to Canadian airlines. So nobody's, mad,
0: so nobody's mad at you now? N- no. Okay,
5: good. <laughs> So what we took advantage of that time really to rethink our strategy as a business. And we took advantage of uh, an opportunity to buy a brand new jet that is produced by Embraer in Brazil. And Porter will now be the launch customer of the Embraer E195 E2 aircraft in North America.
0: I will tell you, I was down in Brazil. I flew their simulator. It's a nice plane.
5: It is a beautiful plane. And one of the great value propositions of this aircraft that's just common to what Porter has offered for 16 years, there's no middle seats on this aircraft, right? So it is a two-by-two two configuration. You missed
0: your entire branding message.
5: You're the airline that doesn't have a middle seat. We do not have any middle seats on any of our aircraft. The Dash 8, our original fleet, uh, no middle seats. And this Embraer E195, which is what's great about it, is it has full North American coverage. So we now will be able to, to serve Canada and... And the U.S. down into Mexico and into the Caribbean with a fleet of aircraft where there is no middle seat anywhere on airplanes. So you're
0: giving me a hint that you're going to be flying to Los Angeles and San Diego soon?
5: That is certainly on our map, but we certainly did just announce our first U.S. destinations with this aircraft, and it is five destinations in Florida. We'll be flying from Toronto Pearson Airport, which is the other airport here, uh, there in Toronto. Because uh, that jet
0: can't land here?
5: That's correct. So interesting point about Billy Bishop Airport is there's a jet ban on Billy Bishop Airport, which is why we fly the Dash 8 uh, yeah. from that airport. Uh, so as we look to expand our network, uh, we had to do so from Toronto's Pearson Airport, which is the international airport. And so we just announced that from Pearson Airport, we're going to be flying to Fort Myers, to Miami, for Lauderdale. Orlando and Tampa
0: just in time for the snowbirds.
5: Absolutely. It's that time of year for the Canadians, but on top of that, we're also going to be flying from Ottawa to Orlando and to Fort Lauderdale as well. So seven new jet destinations that we just announced. But we will be expanding across the U.S. as we go through 2024 and into 2025. We intend to go all the way to the west coast of the United States, all the way across the south, different destinations. Not ready to announce those yet, but eventually into Mexico and the Caribbean, as I said.
0: Well, you realize now you can fly anywhere as long as you don't have a middle seat. That's
5: correct. And the other great value proposition when you fly with us is not only is there no middle seat, but every single passenger on our airplane gets free beer and wine, and we serve it to them in glassware. And they get a nice selection of snacks. And this is for everyone on the aircraft. And that's really been what's been important to Porter all these years, as we compete in the Canadian marketplace, and now increasingly in the United States, is we provide a level of generosity to our passengers. that just does not exist on any other carrier in North America. Any Biscoff cookies? No Biscoff cookies. Oh, wait a minute. We got a problem. Well, we actually do a really delicious cookie Uh, By Cookie It Up, which is a delicious bakery located in Toronto. And we serve their shortbread chocolate chip cookies on our flight, and they are addictive. Could I have more than one? I will gladly give you more than one. (laughs) What's your biggest challenge? So, obviously, we're growing substantially uh, as a business. Uh, we had 29, we still do today, we had 29 of the Dash 8 turboprops, but we have ordered up to 100 of the Embraer E 195 aircraft. And so we're expanding greatly. As we're talking today, within the last six months, we've delivered 15 of those jet aircraft. And airlines do not grow at that pace. Uh, but we are expanding quickly, and we're doing it. For two primary reasons. Number one, we have an existing customer base in Canada. And they're very loyal. They are very loyal, and they're eager to travel with us across Canada and to other destinations in North America. So we've got that nice customer base. But the other piece is in this business, if you don't have scale, you cannot compete. And so in Canada, we really only have two major airlines. I won't mention their names, but we have two major airlines in Canada. And if you want to compete with them, you've got to grow and get scale. You've quickly. got to step it up. That's right. So but please tell me, Kevin, us. please tell me you're always going to be flying to Billy Bishop. Billy Bishop will be the center of our Dash 8 network. It is core to what Porter's uh, original value proposition was. And, uh, you know, we have 85% of the flights that come in and out of Billy Bishop, uh, and we intend to continue to grow that business.
0: My thanks to Kevin, to Chief Steubing, to Scott Armour, and to the Mayor of Halifax, Mike Savage. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions... Be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, you know what to do: log on to petergreenberg.com.
1: The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio.
0: If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.
3: Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader.